Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Dan Zawacki. Dan is a certified implementer of EOS Worldwide. Dan's passion is teaching, facilitating, and coaching business owners and their leadership teams on how to get the most out of their companies and live a better life. And he's not just some random guy that decided to be a business coach. He he thought that, you know, hey, that'd be fun. No, no, that's not Dan. Dan has been in the trenches for 35 years as an entrepreneur. He created lobstergram.com and ran that business for 30 years. Yikes. He started with an idea of delivering live lobsters to the public, starting with a grand in a garage. He then uh, grew that business into a $15 million company. Uh, he's frequently a writer for EOS Worldwide with numerous articles that he's written. Um, and uh, one of uh, Dan's many claims to fame is he was the first company to use Google AdWords. I know it sounds a little crazy, but that is Dan Sawacki. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Well, Justin and Will, thank you. And it is a honor to be here. And that was quite the introduction. Thank you. Uh, well, I I always say this. I try to make the guests sound as good as I can, but it always sounds better from their mouth. I, I guarantee that. So uh, our first question is, Dan, tell us the origin story. Tell us about how you got into entrepreneurship. What Lobstergram? And then how? why EOS? Why move to EOS? Why do this whole thing? Um, so, so give us the origin story there, Dan. Yeah. So, uh, wow. Way back in 1987, right? There was... It was a good year, by the way. It may have been my birth year. I don't want to age anybody, but maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be 61 next uh, <laughs> this Saturday. Holy shit. Happy birthday. That's awesome. Happy birthday. I can't believe it. So I was 24 at the time, and I had a real job at Honeywell. And uh, I was thinking, wow, I love live lobsters. Nobody's out there shipping live lobsters. I should start a company. 24 young, naive, whatever. And so I was always good at the marketing and the PR. And, and I tried to get somebody out in Maine to do the fulfillment because, hey, that's where the lobsters are, right? And I drove out to Maine uh, and everybody said it was a stupid idea. And that if it was a good idea, someone from Maine would be doing it. And I'm like, hmm, maybe they're right. Anyways, talked to my dad about it. And he said, Daniel, that's he always calls me Daniel. Uh, he goes, you know what? You don't want to be 40 and go, that was my idea. And he goes, and guess what? Your girlfriend after five years dumped you. So you don't really have any attachments. It's like, oh, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dad, dad advice is always the best. And he goes, just do it. Right. Just do it. He goes, because you can always get another job. And so I'm like, all right. So I did a little research and stuff, and nobody was out there really doing food. You had Harry and David, and I think at that time they were about 200 mil in sales, and then there was Omaha Steaks, and they were around 250. So here's little Dan in Chicago 
with a thousand bucks going to compete against the big, big boys. And so that's where my entrepreneurial, you know, ride started. And literally my parents, I quit Honeywell. Well, actually I got fired, but that's a long story. And, um, it's a lot. It's a good story, though. Uh, and uh, next thing you know, my parents are like, oh, you could move back, you know, to Arlington Heights and you can have your old basement bedroom. I could be your office and as in your bedroom and then you can have half the garage. We'll get your dad to park out on the street. And I'm like, whoa, life is good. And that's how it started. And so I one of the things that I have actual lists of the 18 things I called it my to-do list that I needed to do to actually have a company and one of them is the funniest thing is how to get a credit card machine how does that work I mean this is literally how I, I was so green and uh, so after about six months I chipped them all off and the next thing you know boom it's like a company. It didn't start out so well, I would say. Uh, the first month I had two sales, and that was one was my mom and dad, and one was one of my best friends. So, <laughs> gotta start somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's hey. pretty funny. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm not sure this is sustainable or not. So, they found out that I was really good at PR. And so then I just started literally calling up like USA Today and telling them about this. Uh, Forbes, Fortune. And for whatever reason, they uh, were like, okay, hey, we'll write a story about it. You know, and I always made it sound like I was way bigger than I was, right? You know, hey, I don't have $1,000 in sales for the year. <laughs> you know, it's 100000 <laughs> But whatever, little white lies, never heard mm -hmm. back then. And so I just started getting all this PR and I would do like uh, some guerrilla kind of marketing where I would go to these little brochures, these pamphlets that my girlfriend, uh, she was a photographer who now is my wife 35 years later. Well, that's a Congratulations. Thank you. That's a crazy thing right there. I would put these things, I'd go to the malls and I just put it in people's windshields, right? And so between all those things going on and I found out that radio really fit in my my niche target market uh, and things just started growing and I started hiring people and then started growing and growing and um, you know, after 30 years, got it up to 15 million. And when I turned about, when I was 55, is when I was feeling stuck at Lobstergram. I, I didn't have the right leadership team anymore. Uh, the next level was going to take like almost a million and a half dollar, dollars to get from 15 to 20. And I had 120-ish people on staff. All those things that was driving me crazy. And I one day driving into work, I was remember thinking the most important thing to me to do today was where I was going to have lunch. And I'm like, all right, 
it's time to do something else. So I remember talking to a friend of mine who uh, was an implementer uh, for EOS. And he actually gave me that book right there, Traction, and said, read this. Maybe it'll get you re-energized with your business. Well, it kind of did the exact opposite. It made me say, I'm going to sell my business, Lobstergram, and I'm going to be an EOS implementer because that's what I'm made to do. And after 30 years of the good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff, and even the stuff you just forget about because it's so horrible. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a great ride. Holy cow. How fun is it not only to build a company, but to build a market, right? And it, it was it was a great. And I thought it was going to take maybe a year or two to sell the company. But in 100 days, I sold it to a strategic buyer. I was out. Next thing I know, I go up to Detroit, meet the uh, EOS people, drink the purple Kool-Aid. And that was about five years ago. And boom, now this is what I do full time. And I love it. It's so awesome to take leadership teams because I work with the leadership teams and just help them live a better life, right, by all the different tools that we teach and um, all the, the different processes and things. And EOS is really when I when I people ask me really what it is, it's a system to manage human energy, right? Your people and to get them all bouncing like little rubber balls bouncing in the same direction. And that's when the magic happens, when everybody can get aligned. And I am so happy. I have great clients. I love them all. And I'm in a great, great spot in my life where I actually can add such value to not only the people in the leadership team, but all their employees. And then when you add on to their families and then some of the vendors and all that thing, you, it, you know, it humble, very humble, you know, like 10,000 people you make an impact on. That's pretty damn cool. That's super cool. Super, super cool. That's really cool, Dan. Uh, and to be very candid with listeners, we, we are uh, clients of Dan. So I want to be very clear about that and not uh, uh, do it. And Dan has been amazing and super helpful spot migration uh, a thousand times over. Uh, I could I can't speak better about Dan in any way. I think of the greatest thing you've ever said about anybody and just put Dan's name in front of that. That's how I would kind of phrase that. And, and, oh, and don't forget, like my first clients, too. Yeah, we 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 believed in the lobster man, uh, Dan Dan the lobster man in the beginning. We 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 didn't uh, drink the Kool Aid later, as you said. We were like, this is the guy. This guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to build a business. Yes, let's get on board. So, uh, yeah, no, we very appreciative, Dan, uh, and we've we've certainly uh, told you a thousand times how how impactful you've been. So, it, talking about people, right? People, you know, building building cultures and things like that. Um, what are what are some of the the things how EOS helps that with businesses? So um, if it's RPRS or if it's core values, kind of talk about some of those things. Yeah, well, I think maybe the first thing is culture is one of those things where I think people have so many different ideas on it, and some people don't really get culture. They think culture is having free beer on Friday and ping pong tables, right? 
And it's not, right? In the simplest form for me, culture is literally what is acceptable, what's not acceptable in your business, what's right, what's wrong, how you treat people, how you want to be treated. You know, those are really the things that make culture. And one of the building blocks of that is what is core values, right? And now you hear everybody talks about core values, core values, core values, right? Well, there's two types of core values I found. There's like real true core values, and then there's what I call the bullshit core values, right? (laughs) It's true, right? It's like I have one client, they literally – paid someone $25,000 to come up with their core values. And they were just marketing core values. It was not what the intrinsic core of the leadership team values are, right? And so literally uh, what they did is they had these aspirational core values where none of them were. And so when they were hiring people, they were hiring people based upon core values And what was happening is they were hiring people that fit that subset of core values, which wasn't real. And they were wondering why everything's going to hell. And so true core values is what keeps uh, your organization grounded, right? And there are a handful, three to five, maybe six, that are the characteristics that define your organization. Like I said, by looking at your core values, you should be like that. Say, this is right. This is wrong. We should not do that because this is against our our core values. And when we did core, and if you guys remember uh, core values, it it's a three-hour exercise, and it is at the heart and soul of the leadership team. And that is the building blocks of culture because culture we want to bring in people to the organization that fit our culture and fit our culture like a glove, right? We want to just freaking stiff arm them right in the head if they don't fit our core values, right? When you're interviewing people and you find that they don't fit your core values, don't even let them go for a second interview because if they squeak through, those are the people that are always the worst. You know, they're the shining stars, you know, for 30 days, they're great. And then you're like, why did we hire this person, right? They're the person that's always gossiping about people. They're causing all the issues. They're not getting stuff done, you know. And the other thing about core values is, you know, we hire people on them and we let go of people based upon them. But most of the important at all is we reward people for core values and that is a powerful powerful part of the right people and the culture right and you also were talking about rprs and uh just to go a little deeper rprs by the way i like i like the same language right people in the right seats and and there's another book oh my gosh how lucky (laughs) jim collins in his book, by the way, everyone's got to read that book, that traction in that book. Jim Collins, right? He's the guy who kind of made that phrase, the right people on the right bus 
at the right time in the right seats. That's what takes your organization. And so at EOS, we just have it as right people in the right seats. And right people are, and you got to have both, by the way. You just can't have right people. You got to have right people and right seats. So right people are just people that fit your core values, okay? It doesn't mean we're creating mini-me's, right? It's recreating a culture where the byproduct is like our core value, or excuse me, the other way around, the byproduct of core values is great culture. And the right seats is that everyone in the organization is in the right seat. And we build this thing called the accountability chart. It's not an organizational chart. An organizational chart is people-centric. You know, it's like, okay, Justin, you're good at this. Okay, so you're going to be in this seat. Will, you're great at this, so you're going to put you here. No, accountability chart is you don't put any names in seats. You build the ultimate structure at the leadership team level for your organization. So you're building it what's best for the company. And then you put the roles in there and then you put the names in the seats, right? And that's how people fit the right seats. And sometimes when you do this exercise, there's nobody in the seat. And sometimes that's a little uncomfortable as the implementer when there's six people in a session and there's only five seats and one person's like, okay, well, what do I do? Uh, I guess you're not on the leadership team now, right? So that happens probably half the time. But that's got to be really not only difficult as as an implementer, right? You're you're experiencing this, and you see it coming. Like you you see it coming before they see it coming. Uh, probably <laughs> it's, it's a good guess. Sometimes it catches me by surprise too, though. Oh, okay. Um. So how how does the leadership team handle that? Like how do you how do you? Hey, I got these six. That, you know, these are these are our people, you know, we care about these people. We have a long relationship with these people. How, how does the leadership team deal with that? Yeah. So it's interesting. I am not a consultant, right? I'm not the answer man, the guru, right? I'm a teacher. And my job is to teach EOS purely. The second thing I am is a facilitator, okay? And I have to facilitate the answer in the room. And that's part of where the facilitation comes in is here's this person all of a sudden you know they're like i don't know maybe they've been there two years 10 years whatever and then the next thing they're not on you know the leadership team and it can be very emotional and i have to go there enter the danger you know hey mary how do you feel right i try and get them to open up and then i'll ask the rest of the leadership team what do you guys think? You know, what do you want to do? And and I try and explain. I say, you know, hey, being on the leadership team, it's hard work. It's not that easy, right? And just because you're not on it now doesn't mean that you might not be on it at a later point in time. You're still a vital part to the organization. And, um, you know, I don't Typically, people don't leave the session, you know, because our sessions are almost the whole the whole day. They usually stay around, but then they typically don't come back. This just happened to me last week, as a matter of fact, too, uh, with a mm. big company. They have like 600 people, and there was uh, nine people on their leadership team. 
which is way too many because um, it's hard to get anything done. So um, it happened and she was, you know, kind of a little very sad. And the owner said, look, you're still a vital part of this, but it's we're building a leadership team on based upon the accountability chart. And there's just not a seat for you there, but there is below, you know, you'll run one of the departments or something. So, you know, that's it is tricky. But the accountability chart, when you build it, is like the wild, wild west. I never know what is going to happen. And I have stories of crazy things where this was my first session, actually. And a person building the accountability chart, he was the CFO. And uh, when we built it and put the roles in there, the owner uh, of the organization said he wanted to be in charge of the P&L line by line, which the CFO was in the past. And so when he found out he wasn't going to be able to do the P&L, he got literally just got straight up and said, F you, Dan. F this EOS bullshit. And then he turned and looked at the owner and he said, F you. And he goes, I quit. <laughs> and my, this is my, my first session. And I'm just like going, wow, I must have really screwed something up here. So we went on with the session and it turned out he was embezzling money. Oh, my God. Whoa. Like over a $125,000, and he knew that by him not being in charge of the P&L line by line, he couldn't hide anymore because he was building phantom companies and paying uh, checks to the these phantom companies. And, I mean, it's like textbook style. So, you know, the, the process worked where we kind of, you know, you break things out. Um, but wow, it worked out actually. Yes, that I mean, catching embezzlement is generally a good thing. Uh, it, you know, not good that it happened, good that it's now, uh, you know, come to light. Yeah, uh, wow, that was your first session. That was that was <laughs> hey, going strutting out, gonna go do my new thing. Uh, no more, no more lobsters. Let me do EOS. This is the day one, essentially. First session, I'm like, <laughs> wow. I'm not sure I like this career anymore. Yeah, but that would that could shake anybody. Oh man! But it was great, you know. So it worked out good. But what uh, EOS, you know, talking about people and culture, is when I when I work with new clients and I tell them EOS has a way of smoking out the people that probably should not be there. They don't fit core values. Um, they just are in their own little world. They don't, they don't care about the vision of the organization. And, you know, if you don't care about the vision of your organization, then you should go down the street and work at ABC company. Then <laughs> that's the bottom. So I got a question for you. I know that you work with a bunch of construction clients and you also have others. Do you see any difference in this process in let's say construction versus versus not do you see similarities in sort of the you know especially in the people process uh do you see any differences in that specific set of industries versus versus others or is it all the same 
it's back. Yeah, well, EOS is, I'm going to say agnostic, really, when it comes down to it. It's a process, and it, at the center of it, the model, so to speak, is your company. And so it does revolve around your own individual company. Uh, I do have four people in that, four companies in that construction business. And typically, I mean, all companies kind of have the same issues, right? Processes, people, vision alignment. They're not measuring the right things to know if they're on track. Accountability. They don't have accountability. And one of the things they don't typically know how to solve their problems. They just scratch them and think they talk about them for 40 minutes and they think they've solved their issues when all they did is just talk about it for 40 minutes. And they just don't have good systems for that. And yeah, there, I mean, every company is different, but it, I don't really, when I, if I think I have like 23 clients right now, I can't really pinpoint something different except maybe the fact of, you know, they rely a lot on the union, unions and, and that. And, you know, sometimes it's a little hard for them to get the vision down to them because, you know, for three months they work at company A and then the next three months they go to company C, right? And so sometimes that's a little bit more difficult. Um, but we still push the vision to them so they understand it. So that actually brings into processes or systems, structure, right? Like I think a, a, lot, of, a lot of people will think of culture or think of people is not a structured thing. Like they think it's, you know, very emotional, not, it's not as, but it's certainly what we've seen. Uh, and I'm sure if you've seen it, it is structured. There is there's core values and, and your core focus, uh, which uh, is the question I certainly want to ask. So you have core values. That's going to be, you know, builds out that culture uh, of what you're trying to be more of a structural system. But what about the core focus of a company? Where, where does that kind of come in line when it comes to, either building culture yeah so core focus is one of those terms that we use uh some people call it a mission statement vision statement right and i'm sure you guys you, you go and see people's websites and their mission or vision statement is like two paragraphs single spaced and you read it and you go what the what do they do right <laughs> and it, it makes it so complicated and so EOS is less is more, do less better. And so we literally break it into just two sentences. One is what is your purpose, your cause or your passion? Okay. What gets you up and drives you in the morning to do what you do, right? In the construction business, you know, it's, it's typically to build, you know, something of that nature, engineer those things. And then the niche is the second part of the core focus, and that is what do you do, right? And so you combine those two together, and it's typically sentence, maybe two, but it is concise, and it is literally makes the organization stay on track. And it helps eliminate all those shiny things, typically, the, typically it's the owners, the founders that come up with. They're just like, oh my gosh, well, we're so good in this part, you know, of erecting the steel over here. Well, 
we sh- let's do solar because everybody's into solar now. So let's do solar too, right? And you're just like, well, you know, is that part of your core focus? No, right? And so it's really interesting. And there's a saying in EOS, you know, uh, stay in your niche and be rich, right? Because you can't be everything to everybody. You got to focus. And once you do that, uh, I've literally seen organizations, some of them actually will sell a division because it's like, where did this even come from? It makes no sense in our organization. And it's just sucking out the money, the time, the talent, right? And then boom, you know, they're all focused. It's really interesting um, what a core focus, a great core focus does for organization, right? Because if you're talking about core values tells us who we are as a company and the core focus will tell you what you are. And then well, there's another thing we have, it's called the 10-year target, and that tells you where you're going. And some people call it a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, as a Vern Harnish term. And that is literally, and it's hard for people to think, right? Because most people are like, I just want to get through the week. I just want to get through the month. What the hell, Dan, you want us to, meet, us to think where we want to be in 10 years? And I go, Yes. Because if you don't know where you're going, you might not get there, right? Yogi Berra. We put this big thing out there. With this, you know, 10-year goal, how good are people at sort of predicting um, the 10-year goal? How do they get to being able to predict better, right? Like, I think predicting is really hard in a business, right? you talk about sales, you talk about churn, um, even costs, like there are world events like pandemics, right? There's no way that anyone could have foreseen that that would have happened, right? So how do people predict and be able to say and be able to achieve those goals? Right. So you're talking about how can you predict what what's going to happen in 10 years? (laughs) But (laughs) I've seen clients and I've been doing this for five years, they hit their 10-year goal in five years. And when we set that goal, they were like, oh, my gosh, there's no way we're ever going to do this in 10 years. It's going to take us 20 years. But they don't understand the EOS will give them the processes, right? And it will give them the ability for accountability throughout the organization and the vision. And part of that is, like you said, Will, you got to be great at predicting. And EOS, almost everything we do from the weekly meetings to the quarterlies to the annuals is all about becoming better at predicting. And I have found that all my great companies are great at predicting. And guess what? No one's 100 percent. That's insane. Right. The key is you've got to be better than your competitors. And I guarantee probably most of your competitors, they don't even, they don't have systems. They don't have any, they're, the way their systems work is they have a meeting. Hey, our sales are down. Oh my God, we better have a meeting. <laughs> hey, our sales are up. Oh my gosh, we better have a meeting and find out why, right? EOS builds that predicting of why those things happen. 
And I, I actually teach this thing. It's called the five leadership abilities of how to uh, get over hitting the ceiling because you're going to hit the ceiling. I don't care what anybody says. And predicting is one of those things. And the key that we teach is there's short-term predicting and there's long-term predicting. So let's say you're great at predicting in the short term. Well, you're going to be a great company in the short term. And then, right? But if you're great at the long term and the short term, that's when you get to be a great company. And so throughout the tools that we teach, the the process, it's all about getting better at predicting. I think predicting is one of the most important things any company can have. You talked about uh, meetings and where, you know, sales are bad or something's going bad. Let's have a meeting or uh, something really good happened. Let's have a meeting. Right. Yeah. Is there a different way? What is What does EOS say and why? Yeah. So there is a way better way. Right. And one of the reasons that uh, Gina Wickman, the founder of Traction an EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System, uh, was he had a company with his father and they were just becoming, they were meeting to death. You know, everything was a meeting, 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 meeting. And that was the way when I worked at Honeywell, at hell, Lobstergram, I remember one time, this is so embarrassing, but I could say it. I had a big meeting and I had a meeting for the meeting. How stupid is that? You talk about wasted time, right? And so we have this meeting <laughs> that's called the level 10, right? And the level 10 is that when you walk out of that 90 minutes, right, that you would rate it a 10. And so the thing with the level 10 uh, meeting is there's a few things that it, you just you got to do. First of all, it has to be on the same day, right? And it has to be at the same time. And that builds that uh, the culture of accountability, right? And I tell people right here, just put it in your phone and hit reoccurring forever. And it lasts 90 minutes, right? Not 190 minutes, but it's 90 minutes. So people can know that it's going to be over and they can plan their day and not, oh, man, this thing's going to run an hour over and then I'm going to miss this phone call with this client. I'm going to miss this and that, right? You ruin everybody's day. And so those are the things. And the other one is follow the same agenda. And uh, do you want me to explain what how it works and how easy it is? I yes, you should because I uh, prior to knowing about level tens, the amount of meetings that I was in that I a either a should not have been in or was such a gigantic waste of time uh, is is endless. Like it was endless in my career of doing this. So hearing uh, more more details upon why this is magic because I totally think a level ten meeting is pure magic. It is unbelievably astounding once you go through one yeah and and you're right justin and, and literally every one of my clients when we, we do a check-in and i always say what tools are working and every time they long-term clients right they always say the level 10 
And so it's it's real easy. It's all the five things I just mentioned, start on time, end on time, um, 90 minutes, same day, all that. And the key is you start out, you have five minutes, no longer, no less, and we call it a segue, and you just go around the room, one personal thing that was great that happened and one business thing that happened that was great. And what that does is it builds team health, right? Because you're getting to tell people, oh, yeah, best over the weekend, you know, went out with the kids, went to the pumpkin farm or whatever it might be, you know. And so it helps bring some team health in there. And also it's like a psychological thing too, is that instead of like most meetings, like people are just like, boom, they just pile in and start hammering shit out, right? This kind of eases you into it. It's five short minutes. And then the next thing you do is you review your, what we call the scorecard. And I mentioned that earlier about the data, right? And then the scorecard is what are the five to 15 measurables that let us know on a weekly basis, right? Not a quarterly basis or monthly, but a weekly basis that we are on track to hitting our vision. And it's real simple and you got five minutes for that, okay? And then there's these things out there we call rocks. Think of them as 90 day goals. And at that leadership team level, we simply come up with goals every quarter, i.e. rocks. And then for five minutes, everybody goes around and reviews their rocks on track or off track, right? And you, you don't sit there and try and solve them if your rock is off track for that part. You just simply, we call it, drop it down to the part where you're actually solving issues. And then you look at, is there any customer employee headlines, you know, is is our customers, what are they saying about us? What are our employees saying about us, right? And as a leadership team, you got to know that. And then the last thing we do is your to-dos. What you promised you were going to do last week to solve the big issue, have you got it done? And the answer is done, not done, that's it. And then you go to what we call the IDS section. And I stands for identify D, discuss, and S is solved. And you can. This is this is my favorite part right here. I, I, idea, I love IDS. IDS is my favorite part, and I think it's where we do the most great work. So. And, well, you were talking about predicting. It's building the predicting muscle, right? Because let's say the organization's got 15 issues, 50 issues, whatever it is. You know, they're all written out in this software program. And you have to predict what are the three that I need to solve this week. Not next month, right? And it it makes you focus. It makes you predict that these, and as the leadership team, you guys all go, yeah, that's the first one, that's second, and that's third. And so then we identify those, one, two, three. And the key is that we got to get to the root slash roots, because typically if it's a big issue, it's not one thing, right? It's a, it's like a tree root, right? There's three, four, five things that's maybe attached to it. And you got to go deep, dig, dig, dig into each one. 
And then as a group, if you've got all the roots laid out, right, then you really discover what are those issues in that one issue, this, the root issues. And then we go to the discuss, right? And the thing that we don't do is just discuss it and discuss it and discuss it. And it goes around and around and around. And then after 40 minutes, everybody's like, damn, we are so awesome. We spent 40 minutes on this, right? Let's go talk about the next one. <laughs> and they didn't do jack shit, right? I mean, nothing solved. All they did was make themselves feel good and talk about it. I was this way. This is how I solved issues. And nobody ever had the to-dos, right? So we identify it, and then we discuss each route individually, okay? Resisting the going back and forth, back and forth. And then we do the solve for each of the root issues, and we make it a to-do, which is a seven-day action item. And in the book, Traction, it really explains in detail on how to do that. And then EOSWorldwide.com has some uh, information on there, too, if anybody. Or feel free to, to call me. I'm, I One of my core values is here to help. So I really take that to heart. But you will get the most important things solved for the week. And it eliminates, Justin, like you were saying, all those little meetings that people just they have meetings because, I don't know, it makes them feel important, right? Everybody's in a meeting, but no one's getting anything done. I, it's actually a great point. When I was uh, younger, you know, I'm, I'm still very young, I feel. But when I was younger, I thought, oh, I'm invited to a meeting. That's amazing. Like, I'm important now. Look at me, big guy, big guy on campus kind of a thing. And then as you, you know, get older and you, you move on your career, you're like, if I'm in a meeting every hour, I can't get shit done. Like I, I get nothing achieved. Like it's great to have 10 hours of meetings today, but if you want me to do a job se separate from that meeting, either you're going to have to, you know, pay me double or you're going to have to produce more time in the day. Like there's not, there's not a reality where this, this could actually happen. So uh, I think it's a, a young man's game loves the meeting. And as you uh, get older, you realize I don't got I don't have time for that. So I can only be in meetings when they're actually important and when they're going to get things solved. Like, don't don't just talk about it. Be about it. Do it right. Like you got to actually do this stuff. Well, that's interesting, because when I teach this tool to people, typically they're just like, no, this this is impossible. Right. You know, I'm in at least six eight hours of meetings every week right and you want me to get all this done in an hour and a half and i go you'll get most of it done it doesn't mean you can't have little side one-on-one -on -one meetings with people i go but you'll see how that just will start to decline because you're going to get real strong at that and i swear every single person i can't even think of one person who ever said that they don't like it as a matter of fact you know, for all the construction people out there, my clients, what I'm teaching them now is to use the level 10 agenda to run when they talk to their clients about the projects they're working on. That's really smart. And it's not like they have scorecards, but it's kind of that same thing, you know, you know, the, the open up the segue. Hey, what's going on with the kids? You know, how's their, what what's how's business going? Right. And then the scorecard 
is literally more or less how the project may be going. Are we on schedule? Are we not? The rocks could be, hey, last time we promised that we were going to get this done. And guess what? We did it. Or guess what? We didn't get it done. Well, we've had some supply issues, but we're, uh, we figured it out. What we IDS'd it and uh, we figured it out. So we're going to have this due date. And then again, ID spend the uh, time IDSing. So, hey, here we have this issue right now. Let's IDS this one. Boom, boom, boom. And they don't even know it's that it's that they're being IDS, but it's a way to make the meeting just have sense and it makes sense. And it's really cool. It's powerful. That's genius. I, I, I and we've been running uh, level tens for four plus years or whatever, right? So like, I've never thought. Let's take it outside the environment. Let's say, hey, how do I just structure the meeting in a way that's going to be beneficial for clients or whoever we're working with? That's super smart. Yeah. Wow. That's that's Dan. You're holding all the good stuff back. What are you doing? Uh, I'm at EOS. I wrote a blog post for him. I'm on the uh, EOS uh, Writers Council for blogs. So I, I will make sure I send it out to you guys. Thank you. We appreciate that. Well, thank you. I can't believe I didn't. I apologize. One other thing, uh, core processes, right? So we talk about process, you know, people, process, technology. Those are the, the pillars of scaling a business. And we talk about, oh, well, what processes have you put in place? We ask lots of leaders that and they give us tons of stuff back. But core processes as a just holistically, what, what advantages that give you? What, what does EOS say about this? What, what are your thoughts about this and um, how can it help companies? Oh my gosh. I tell you the wrong way to do it first at lobster grant. <laughs> I paid this guy 20 grand to come in and literally 20 grand. I know the number cause I'll never forget it. And <laughs> uh, to document all our core processes. Okay. And he documented them. He did a great job. He documented hundred percent. Okay. Turned out it was, you know, I'll never forget 252 page binder. Okay. And we're a lobster company, right? We're not rocket science. We're not sending people, you know, to Mars and shit. Simple, right? 252 pages. I'm like, whoa. Anyways, I give them to my leadership team. I, I'm all excited at our leadership team meeting. Go, everybody, here you go. Read this. Come back the next week. I go, what do you guys think? You know, I'm all excited. And they're like, oh, well, we haven't got it yet. I'm like, okay, well, make sure by next week. Next week. Uh, still, nobody's read it. After a month, people were like, yeah, we looked at it. It looks good. I'm like, did you really read it? And they're like, well, we, we glanced at it. I'm like going, there's 20 grand down the drain. I was the <laughs> one that read it. So don't do that, okay? Make sure you do your core processes. You as an organization do them. Don't hire someone out, number one. Number two, uh, I teach this 2080 approach, right, where we document at a high level 20% of the activities, steps, that literally will give us in a linear fashion 80% of that activity, Okay. People always go, well, that's stupid. What about the other 20%, right? And I say, guess what? If we got the right people, the right seats, they fit our core values, and they know how to IDS, 
They're going to be smart enough to figure out those things that happen once a year and once every three years because that extra 20%, that's what the documentation is, are the things that never hardly ever happen. And quite frankly, if you do document it 100%, A, it's going to take twice as long, literally, just that extra 20%. B, by the time it's documented, it's going to be obsolete, and then you've got to come up with a new process, and I've seen that. But the pro the thing that most companies fail upon in processes, and uh, I I've seen this a lot in the, the construction world especially, is what we call F. B-A, followed by all, right? So they have these processes, okay? And the next thing you got to do is you got to train those people, right? You just can't say, here you go, read this, right? You got to train them, that, that hands-on training, right? And then you got to make sure that you manage them, that they're doing it the way that you have found is the best way as a leadership team, right? And then you have to have consequences. If there's those people that just keep going and not doing it, they just keep doing it the way they want to, well, eventually they screw everything up and, you know, you got to just either reprimand them or let them go. And it sounds harsh, you know, I always just give people the benefit of the doubt to retrain them, whatever it is. But there's some people that are just stuck in their ways and they'll never change. And you can't let, you know, you can't let that get away, right? Because processes, they build, uh, you're more profitable. You, there's less fighting between departments, right? Because face it, salespeople, they just want to sell shit. They don't care. And then they sell it and they're all excited. Oh, I just sold this $500,000 deal. And then the operations people are like, oh my God. We don't know how to do this. We, by the time we learn and figure and buy the tools or whatever it is, and it just becomes a big shit show. So that is what helps us become more profitable, less infighting, and it makes business fun too because things are just humming along. And that's part and that's processes. And the FBA, that's really hard to do, but that's the key right there. You gotta just because you have a great process on paper doesn't mean anything. You gotta tell people. Do you have a place? Do people just write this stuff down on paper, like all these issues and, and whatnot? Should people be using or looking at uh, at the system? I mean, that seems like quite a bit to just write on paper. Um, what do you recommend, or how do people deal with not paper, right? Oh, well, when I first started, it was Excel spreadsheets and Word docs. And so after about the third month, uh, you would want to pretty much kill yourself because there was just there's so much paperwork. Keeping it in some order was almost impossible. And so now there's actual tools out there, um, software tools, and one of them is called uh, Bloom Growth. They used to be known as traction tools, and they literally will take you through a level 10. They have a place where you can put your scorecard, your rocks. You can add your issues to it, you know, just keep it open. And if you have an issue, just plop it in there, uh, recaps your to-dos. 
Uh, it even helps you rate what the meeting was. Um, the accountability chart that we talked about earlier, there's a place where you can build that accountability chart. Uh, there's the part in there where you can put your vision traction organizer, which is kind of we talked, we touched a bit, but that's basically the vision of the organization, starting with core values and core focus, 10-year target, and it has that all in there. So guess what? When you write it down, the leadership team, they all agree, yep, this is it. So you can't have somebody go back a month later and go, I didn't agree to that core value, or that wasn't the core focus. I No, look, you agreed. Here it is in writing. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so that is a great one. Uh, EOS is also developing their own one, and I think that'll be ready next year. Uh, but there is absolutely no way that at all my, my four construction clients, everywhere from metal fabrication to equipment, big equipment leasing, moving, this one company, they can move an 86,000-pound piece of equipment. Okay? I saw wow. it. It takes three semis to, to get this piece of – it's a giant – it's like a, a giant uh, forklift almost. And it takes three semi flatbeds to move it over because it weighs so much. And I have electric, big electric company, and then an HVAC company, and every one of them use it. As a matter of fact, I tell people in the very beginning, I go, if you want to use me, you got to use traction tools because you can't keep it straight and you're going to take longer to get to where we want to go, you know? And so, yeah, that technology piece is, is big. So uh, I'm going to do a little, little rapid fire here, um, just out of your experience, what you've seen. Um, since you get to see kind of the inner workings of a lot of different companies, right? So if you take away, yep. if you take away sort of the product or the service, everyone's got business issues, right? What would you say are some of the most typical issues that companies have to deal with early on and then uh, as they mature in the EOS process are there typical things that they deal with you know as they kind of mature so give us some high level topics you know, that, that are being dealt with yeah uh, so typically I would say oh 99% don't have the right structure okay they they think they have the people, the right people on the bus, the right seats and that thing. But in that, that's one of the first things we work on. And until you get the right structure, right? We always say structure first, vision second. So until you get that structure, you can't move on. You're just, it ain't going to work. And so the second thing we then is the vision part. And what typically I find here in the vision part is that a leadership team, I don't care, I was just with a leadership team. They've been together for 10, 15 years, 60 year old company doing crap loads of sales. And they're six people on the leadership team. And each one had just a little different vision of what that company did. It was all pretty similar, but they all thought they were 100% aligned, 
But when you actually put it on paper, that's when the, the this, you know, there's like different, right? And so everyone's kind of fighting against the other person. They don't even realize it. And then when you get that 100% vision alignment, that's the goal. And then after that, it's the ability to solve your own issues. And we talked about that in IDSing. So if you think about it, if you're, if you've got a company, 100 people, 500 people, 10 people, I don't care what the size of the organization is. If you don't have the ability to solve your own issues, then what do you do? You go to the leadership team. You're like, oh, my gosh, Will, can you help me? Justin, can you help me? Right. And really, all it is is people are trying to give you their issues so that they can go do what they want. And then next thing you have, you had two issues in a day and now you got 20 issues. Right. And so the key is to get everyone in the organization the ability to solve their own issues. And if they can't, then they come up to leadership and say, hey, I tried. Here's my couple ideas for solutions. You know, now what can we do? And then the next one I find is the process part of it. If you don't have, like we just talked about, if you don't have great processes, you're not going to have a great company. I don't care what it is. And then building that accountability machine, right? You say you're going to do something. All right. Your name goes on that to do or your name's on that rock, you need to do that because for the greater good of the organization, G-G-O-T-O, greater good of the organization, that is what we have to make our decisions on. Not about what's best for me, not about what's best for Justin or Will, your department, what is for the greater good of the organization. And, you know, that's part of that whole accountability in part and that is powerful when people make decisions based on that and not just willy-nilly stuff is what they typically do how often is technology an issue within an organization and and furthermore how often is let's say cybersecurity brought up as an issue within as an as an issue yeah so Technology in general, I would say, is brought up probably almost all the time. It's technology and shit don't always work, right? Don't we know it? (laughs) You guys build a company doing that, right? Um, And and typically it's, well, there's a couple things. A, the people who install it, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And it's just as painful, right? And that pain can't let you do your work, right? Or two, uh, they just oversold it. And I see this a lot, right? Oh, my gosh, this technology is going to do this and this and this and this. And then when they get it installed, it does only one thing, right? And so I typically it's the overpromising part of it. Um and I would say that almost every session when we're IDSing as a company, bringing up issues, there's always some technology issue. Now, in the cybersecurity end of things, it's interesting. Even though it's everywhere, unless I bring it up, it doesn't seem that it's brought up. And so I, I, I know they care about it, 
my uh, the owners and leadership teams, but it's one of those things where I think there's they maybe think it's some magical thing that you know they're it's not going to work, or just put it under the rug, and we're just trying hope that it never happens to us. But I do bring it up because it's huge, as you guys know, right? You guys are experts at this. And one little bastard out in Russia can totally take out your whole company for as long as they want, unless you got the right backups, the right firewalls, and uh, you guys know all the right stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a threat. And I was just listening to NPR, and they were saying that one of the greatest threats to business not just small business, not just big business, but they were specifically mentioning those companies in that two to 50 million range is that's where they're starting to go at now because they, they have the big boys have kind of have their stuff set up. It makes it harder. You know, those small to mid size, they're kind of just like, going, Oh yeah, I got my firewall from Microsoft. That'll, That'll work. <laughs> like, that's never been hacked before. It's a real problem. It's a big problem. And uh, I I try and point it out all the time to my clients. So uh, I'm going to give you one more question, and then we'll go with our with our with with the question that we want to ask uh, every guest on our episode. So first, do you have any learning lessons with technology? <laughs> too many please do share yeah all right so back in the day right there was no internet my and i remember my dad when was this late 80s early 90s who knows it's all a blur too much partying in high school and college i think but that's another story <laughs> he my dad he's my dad you know he's 30 years older than me, and he's talking about, son, you know, you got this catalog, but you can put your catalog on this thing called the World Wide Web. And he goes, you need to get the Lobstergram URL. And I'm like going, Dad, what the hell are you talking about? The <laughs> World Wide Web? I swear this is true. And he's like, yeah. He goes, it's this thing out there. And I'm like, out where? And he's like, out there. And the, you'll be able to go on there and people can order lobsters on it. And they don't even have to call you. And I go, well, how is that going to work if they can't talk to us? Right. <laughs> and so, uh, thank God I listened to him, got a website, bought the URL, Lobstergram, six characters, and ended up buying a whole mess of other ones too. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, this World Wide Web thing, it's real. <laughs> so funny, my first website was, I called it the show and sell. Because a shopping cart of the day was a hundred grand. They were, there was wow. not like now, they're just part of Shopify, wow. GoDaddy, whatever. They're, don't even charge it, right? But back then, it was a hundred grand. <laughs> Fast forward to 2022. I guess he was right. <laughs> so mine was just 
Here's the picture of the lobsters and the shell crackers and the lobster pot and the lemon and the butter. To order, call 1-800-LIVE-LOB. Okay? So that was kind of a waste of money. Secondly, I did another one. And this time, uh, I really went big. I tried to automate all my processes and picked the wrong platform and ended supposed to be like a half a million bucks. I literally have over a million into it and it's not working. People are complaining. It was crashing. So I had to start completely over and build a whole new site and whole new ERP. And oh my God. So I used open source code for that. Because the other people like had held me hostage, you know, they were like, oh, well, it's $125 an hour. But now we raise our prices to $185. I'm like, that's a pretty big jump, right? And they're yeah. kind of like, well, because we can. And I go, well, it doesn't even work. So anyways, what I think my biggest takeaway there is really work with a reputable company and make sure you have your processes documented and down because what does an ERP do? It just yeah. automates automates the way you do business. And also be prepared. So my first one I did, I didn't want any, you know, I wanted that process to be like this and damn it, that's the way it was going to be. What I've learned, those are add-ons to the software, right? If you can kind of adapt to a little bit of how it was made, you'll probably save hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Now, sometimes you're not going to be able to, but don't be like me and be so pig-headed and be like, no, I want it to be like that, right? As opposed to just that little bit, which all would have been as a little training, right? So those are my two big things I learned. And... Make sure that if if whatever you think it's going to cost, add 25% more. Okay. I'd say even in in modern, just in modern technology implementation, 25% sometimes doesn't even cut it. Well, yeah, you, I mean, it could be 50% because you've, if you've got a really great company, like you guys, right? You get into someone's system and you see this, this, this. And then when you go really deep into it, you're like, whoa, <laughs> you guys really should be thinking about this, right? And it's very difficult. Well, actually, I don't know how you guys do it, but you do. To be able to do such a great job right away. But the more you're with a company and the longer, right? Technologies changes anyways, right? And so that's a, a, that maintenance, right? When I built my first few ERPs, I didn't even budget maintenance. I'm, I was naive to think, okay, it's there. It's good. What? Oh, and I turned it on and it works. Okay. And then you're like, okay, why three months later, you're like, well, why isn't this working, right? Oh, you got to have a little maintenance thrown in there every once in a while. Three guarantees in life, right? Death, taxes. And upgrades. <laughs> and maintenance contracts. <laughs> so uh, 
Justin, why don't you finish us off with uh, the last question? Absolutely. So we asked this to everybody, Dan, and I'm actually very interested in what you're going to say to this. So, Dan, if you could go back 20 years, that'd be 2002, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself, 2002, Dan? I can nail that uh, without really having to even think a whole lot. First of all, I do have something that I wrote down. I'm going to probably do a book on it, but I've been talking about that for five years. All right, let's hear it. Uh, The 30 things I learned in the 30 years. And I think the one of the biggest things is people. Hire the best people. Don't hire people because they have a great degree. Don't hire them based on their experience only. But really hire them on the core values and the seat that they would sit in that they can do it better than anybody. I always did it where if I met someone at a bar and I needed a person and they had a pulse and they had a degree and they seemed nice, I would hire them. I'm not proud to say that, but that's, and I think typically a lot of people still do it that way, you know, and you gotta have a process to hire people because if you have a good idea for a business, but have great people, you probably will get a good business. If you have the, a great idea for a business and bad, crappy people, there's no way that's going to work. And you'll get there quicker, faster, better by having great people, too. That's great insight. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. It's so fun to be on here. I am. Absolutely. Grateful. Thank you. If uh, people wanted to get a hold of you, Dan, talk about business or, or whatever, uh, EOS or anything else, how, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably my uh, email is dan.zawacki, and that's Z-A-W-A-C-K-I, at eosworldwide.com. It's long. Or call my cell, 847 847- 814-4123. I'm always, anyone's got a business question or they want a little IDSing, I'll be happy to help. Like I said, it's one of my core values, here to help. And I really take that serious. Awesome. Uh, well, we'll throw that in the show notes as well as your social profiles. And uh, we'll put a link to both uh, Traction and Good to Great uh, in there just uh, Ah. so people, if they want to look at the books, they can do that too. Is there anything else you want to share with people, Dan? Well, I think the one, yeah, I'm glad you asked that because one thing I wanted to get to was to really be fulfilled and great in your life. There's a thing, uh, just really smart guy, Dan Sullivan. He's developed a coach love the guy and his whole thing is for you to get to your unique ability and your unique ability is what you love to do and what you're great at and if you put it out in a diagram and put it into four quadrants right the top quadrant would be what you're great at and what you love that's where you want to try and get to and that doesn't take, takes a long time, right? 
The other quadrant is you love to do it and you're pretty good at it. And that's not a bad place. And the bottom two quadrants, think of those are the things you might be good at, but you hate to do. The other one is you, you really suck at doing it and you really hate at doing it. Those things you got to get rid of as fast as you can because those suck the energy out of you. And, and that just puts your mind in a bad place. And when you get to your unique ability that just what you want to do, this life is so much better. It's, it's so awesome. And that's my parting words. Powerful, Powerful words. Well, well, certainly EOS has got to be your unique ability, Dan. You are amazing at it. And thank you for all the support you've given us uh, over the years. So we really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys for your trust in me and helping you in your journey. It's been it's been fun. It's been fun. That's for sure. Of course. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, that's all we have for today, listeners. So uh, until next time, adios. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.